Ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. All right, that is our starting point today. Hi, I'm Michael. Lou's over there. Hey there. And we're here to tell you that catching the spirit is not about your feelings. (laughs) 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 It's going to be one of those days. That's so awesome. What we, let me see, we are, how should we, how should we phrase this? I think we are crushing Lou's soul for a second time this week, or this month. Yeah. Yeah. Lou, Lou is not as hardened as I am to all of this, so I, I, I want my Nehemiah 13 ministry, and Lou's like, can you believe these people? Yes, I can believe these people. That's why I want them beaten with a stick multiple <laughs> times. So what are we talking about? Well, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. So we are going back to John 14. And what we want to do is spend a lot of time at the beginning and a lot of time at the end and not a lot of time in the middle. (laughs) Does that make sense? It does. So the part I just read, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may may be with you. You say that three times fast, that he may be. He may be with you forever. Now, question, Christian, always a good time to ask this. Why will the Father listen to Christ? See, this is an important starting point. Why can Jesus make this assertion so clearly? The answer is because he's not like you and me. He's not fallen and sinful. He is perfect. He is God in flesh. He actually has standing in the court of God because of who he is and what he has done. That's why Paul will tell you in 2 Corinthians, as many as are the promises of God in him, talking about Christ, they are yes. Therefore, also through him, talking about Christ, is our amen to the glory of God through us. In other words, we have standing because he has standing. Because he has standing, all of those promises that God has given shall be fulfilled because Christ has earned their fulfillment. We have not. He has. By trusting in him, we now stand with him, and everything that he has earned is accounted to us as well. Amen. Good deal. Now, what is this other helper? <clears throat> Excuse me. The, I'm sorry. It is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Okay. Two things here. The, the simple one, then the more complicated one. Well, you know what? I don't know if either one of them is really complicated, but okay. first things first. What separates you, Christian, from the pagan down the street? The answer? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, you're, not, Christ, Holy Spirit. you're not better. You're not smarter. Right. You're not good at this, but the Holy Spirit is dumbest thing I'm going to say all week. You ready? The Holy Spirit is awesome at his job, and he's better at it than you are. I, I find myself 
saying that a lot to people when I'm encouraging them. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's better at this than you are, so stop doing what you're doing and let him do some stuff. Right, or don't feel bad if you think you're not adequate. Exactly. You're not. You know, the Holy Spirit is, though. This is why we don't have pride before the pagan, because we recognize the only thing that's separating the pagan in his work and us from our work is the Holy Spirit guiding us. This is, again, Paul, back to 1 Corinthians. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining the spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, that's the first thing. What separates you is not your goodness, but Christ's goodness sealed for you by the Holy Spirit. Second thing, listen very carefully to this. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it, talking about the world, does not see him or know him. Hmm. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Did you notice what I was emphasizing there? Did right. you pick, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Yeah, personal pronouns. Oh, the Holy Spirit is a... As, as, as one of our guys was going through the Bible drill once long ago with the children's group, he was, his wife was in charge of the Bible drill, mm -hmm. and so he was helping out because he was drafted. He was one of those deals. Mm -hmm. We were going through books of the Bible, and <clears throat> he was learning his books of the Bible, and he was trying to figure out who this Ezra person was, and I was explaining. He's like, wait, wait, wait. Ezra was a dude? I'm like, yes, Ezra was a dude. Did you think Ezra was a chick's name? There's like no old women in New York named Ezra. Mm -hmm. Every old person in New York that's named Ezra is a guy. Sits on a corner, plays. He's those people. Half the dudes playing chess in the park in those movies about New York City. That, that that's Ezra. Those are Ezra's. Huh? He's sitting there drinking coffee, playing chess in the park. Ezra does that. Okay. Yes. So so that was his phrase. Every time he would go through his Bible, he would get to Ezra and he'd be like, Ezra, who was a dude. Nehemiah, Esther, Job. That's how he remembered his books of the Bible. Ezra, who was a dude. So yeah, the Holy Spirit, who is a dude. Not because we're gendering him, but because he genders himself. So we can't misgender him because he has assigned it himself. See, are we so twenty twenty one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, the point of this is not an it, not a thing. We're not telling Halloween ghost stories here. Right. The Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity. I prefer spirit instead of ghost. Uh, I think that's Leave the got... King Jimmy out of this, yeah, okay? <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy was doing what he could, yeah. and, but it just sticks. But yeah, I, I remember reading that going, Holy Ghost. I feel like I'm telling some weird, like, Bad, isn't this like a bad 80s horror movie? That's where I thought you it's were like going with It's like Jason, Freddy, and the Holy Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> There's the Trinity, right? Right there. It's Jason, Freddy, and the Holy Ghost. No, no, that's no. not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Now, we wanted to spend a little bit of time there because this matters, Christian. The Holy Spirit, promised by Christ, sent by the Father, and depending how you feel about the filioque clause, sent by the Son as well. And no, we're not getting into that controversy. And for those of you that have no idea what I just said, you, you're just going to have to go Google that one yourself. Maybe we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> Schisms for a thousand, Alex. Yeah. Um, where else are you going to get bizarre church history things like that just dropped on you <laughs> and forgotten? Yeah, only yeah. from my brain. There yeah. you go. So, proceeding from the Father and the Son, that's where I'm standing on this because the Son is promised. He is the one who is accomplishing these things. He is the one doing these things. He is the one who seals you, empowers you, strengthens you, and preserves you so that you will persevere until the end. I can't find any more P words, so you're just going to have to trust what everything I got going on there. So, with that, go back to John 14. That because of that, Jesus can say, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Ooh, 
In other words, Jesus is going to return. That's good news. That's your uh, Matthew 25, your what, Luke 21. You mm-hmm. can go look those up. It'll do you good. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. So here you go. Christ will be alive, will be seated at the right hand of the Father, and you will have security of this because the Holy Spirit will do his job of revealing, empowering, strengthening, and carrying forward the church until the day of completion. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, how? Jesus can't do that work. Trinitarian theology will do you well. The Holy Spirit does that work. He dwells, 1 Corinthians 2, with the believer. You are sealed by what? 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 7. Therefore, God is now tabernacling amongst his people. The promises of the Old Testament, the culmination that Revelation talks about, excuse me, all of that done because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And because it is a Trinitarian work, Jesus, because his very nature is God, can blur that line of personality there, so to speak. So don't throw something at me. But the Holy Spirit is who is indwelling the believer. Jesus can say, I am indwelling the believer because Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God. Therefore, Yahweh is indwelling the believer. Yeah, it does say we will make our abode with him. There you go. In this section, so... So this is, again, remember our terminology. We have one God whose name is Yahweh. We have three persons of Yahweh, the Father, the Son who is Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Two don't get a name. They just get titles. It just is what it is. <laughs> the Father doesn't get a separate name. Jesus gets a name. The Holy Spirit doesn't get a name. But they are all Yahweh. You wrap your brain around that. Have you pulled something yet? If, 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 if not, we'll continue. <laughs> <laughs> Lou is over there nodding like, um, I think I understand, but I don't really. No, I, I'm just thinking of all of the many, the different titles that are considered names of God. Oh, but I'm talking about like proper names, like you would put on your name tag, like if you're right. doing the speed dating class, right. like. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I mean, you can't go to a work mixer with God, can you? Like, is he over there hanging out by the punch bowl? No, no. It's, the only reason you would have a name tag for God is speed dating. I'm, I'm convinced of this. Okay. <laughs> So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit walk into a bar, and they're... <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow, this is off the rails already. Off the rails? You say that like we were ever on the rails. Well, no, it... Come on, now. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Cool deal. This is the uh, the Psalm 1 man who is trusting in God, following the word, who, as Psalm 32 describes, has his transgressions not accounted. His sin has been covered. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. Judas, not Iscariot. I love how Judas is still hanging around for all this, you know, kind of looking. I always imagine Judas in this part like a German shepherd. Like, only German shepherds have that face where, like, you, you make a weird noise, and the German shepherd turns his head to the side and looks at you weird. Mm-hmm. And you make a noise, and he turns the other way. And, like, if he keeps doing that, his head's just going to fall off one day. Yeah. I imagine Judas listening to this like a German shepherd. Just kind of, okay. what is he talking about? I don't understand. The, you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Judas, not as scary, it said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Well... This is the gospel and how it works. This is your this is your man who has not had his sin imputed to him. How? When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. This is Psalm 32 again. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. 
I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide, and I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Dun, da, da, da. Again, Christian, what separates you from the pagan? The pagan doesn't care about his sin because he's worried about himself. Right. But because you have the Holy Spirit spurring you, guiding you, strengthening you, correcting you, you actually care about your sin. Therefore, when you recognize it, you confess, you repent, God forgives. That's how this works. That's the disclosure. That's why things about spirituality, following after God, teachings of the word, all the applicable things you do about Christianity that just like are does to you, that makes so much sense, and you look at the world, and they're like, how do they not get this? Right, and, and this is why. You, when you look at, I mean, some people look at the commandments of God as a burden, but they're really a mercy, because they, they, they point out lots of things. They point out who God is, they point out your sin, and, and, and the fact that you know that you're sinning against God, and you can change you can change that by repenting and turning it, back. It's the difference. It's a, it's a mercy. It is, and it's a difference of mindset. But what's changed your mind? Christian, what has, better yet, who has renewed your mind? The Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit. And, and that's the work that he is continuing. Who is the agent that empowers your sanctification? It is the Holy Spirit. So you are walking anew because you are walking with God directly. That's why Jesus can answer. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This is your conclusion to Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. See, there's part of your difference here. Why... <clears throat> Why will you follow Jesus' word? Why? Because the Holy Spirit won't let you do anything else. Right. doesn't mean you'll never sin, but your desire, your baseline, your, your factory settings have been, we'll use a computer analogy, your factory settings have been redone in Christ. Right. See, without the Holy Spirit, your factory settings are sin. In Christ, with the Holy Spirit, your factory settings are godliness. Doesn't mean the computer will never go off the rails and do something it wasn't supposed to do. Computers do that all the time. They glitch, they freeze. Welcome to your sin, Christian. But they, the factory programming is what? There's there's a funny little saying that we have in computer world, garbage in, garbage out. All right? So that's why you, you, you can you know what you're saying really resonates with me because I'm a computer guy. I know. That's but, see, I, I did yeah. this for you. This yeah. is this is for you, Lou. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, but again, Mike. when the program goes wrong, what do we know the problem is? Right. The baseline was right on the system. We know what the program was supposed to do. If the program didn't do that, where's the problem? The problem's in the program. We gotta go we gotta go re we gotta go recheck our code and rewrite something. Right. Christian, that's your sin. Right. That's your old self, the old ad the old nature, the first yeah. Adam rising up in you. Yeah. What all do you do? With it. All the disciples dealt with it. So what do you do for the computer when that happens? You rip it out by doing what? Restart. Go, go yeah. back to your factory settings, and then we'll reinstall this program later. That's what you do, Christian, and in the Holy Spirit, in Christ, your factory settings are new. They are good and righteous and holy, and then you begin to add how you're thinking, how you're living, and you add that back into what the Holy Spirit is doing for you so that you can then align those things and fix your programming. Look at that. We've made a whole computer analogy. There you go. And I know less than nothing about computers, so if I can do it, so can you. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 
peace I leave. I'm sorry, did I skip a line? Yes, I did. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, this is an apostolic promise and a Christian promise. Apostolic promise, what 2 Peter 1 and 2 Timothy 3 are talking about. The Holy Spirit will guide the scripture process, the inscripturation of Christ's teachings, so that who will have it? All. All. So it's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's an apostolic promise, and it's a church promise, because after the promise has been confirmed in the apostles to where Scripture is recorded, the New Testament is given, because of that work of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a church promise, because now we have it. We don't have to worry. That's why Peter can call it a more certain word. I don't have to wonder about, well, what did Peter tell John when they were standing in the temple? I don't care, because if it mattered, they'd have wrote it down. They would have wrote it down. I don't need to know what Peter was teaching as he was traveling around in Rome. Because Mark wrote a gospel based on Peter's teachings. And you know what's more important? More important than what Peter was teaching the Roman church in that time was what Mark wrote down. Because that's what's lasting. And that's where the Holy Spirit is guiding and protecting. I don't need to know what Matthew was teaching in his itinerant ministry. He wrote me a gospel. I don't need to know what John was preaching in the churches at Ephesus and as he was traveling around. Because he wrote a gospel. I now have the teachings of Christ, the apostolic testimony sealed by the Spirit and handed down to the church. And protected in history by proliferation. The fact that it was given to the entirety of the church. This is the beauty of Paul writing letters. Is we read it, copied it, sent it around. They read it, copied it, sent it around. We end up with a secure testimony. Yeah, far better than any other ancient work Absolutely. Of, of, of that time. I mean, some of them weren't even written down. Oh, some of them are nightmares. Yeah, I mean, 700 years afterwards and we're getting And up. that becomes the problem. We don't get that because we get a church wide testimony, right. not just limited to the apostolic community, but the church at large received this testimony and preserved it because that was what the Holy Spirit was doing right. in all of those believers. And it's really cool how the free transmission of the scripture kind of solidifies the fact that we what, what they said, what the apostles said, we know when we, when we, when we dig up a manuscript that mm -hmm. that's what he said, because we can dig up the manuscript and, and, and various places and find the same thing written. So we know we have a certainty. If you have never looked into the transmission of the New Testament, you should. It will it will bless your heart and do you good. And I don't mean that in the southern way. I mean that in the in the actual good blessing upon your heart way. <laughs> well, bless your heart. <laughs> exactly. Uh, some, for some reason, I just heard Cameron say that in my head. <laughs> uh huh. There you go. <laughs> peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be be fearful. In other words, we can rejoice. Philippians four. Because Jesus has done this, the Holy Spirit will seal it and confirm it. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. And that's exactly what goes on. And as soon as Jesus leaves, what happens next? Go to Acts 2. Holy, the Holy Spirit comes in and does his work. Strengthens the churches actually builds the church, strengthens the apostles, recalls the testimony. I mean, Peter, who is hiding every chance he gets, is suddenly, you know, the first Molding. generation everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's just, he's Billy Graham and, 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 you know, John Chrysostom all rolled into one. There you go. We, got, we dropped a John Chrysostom. And everybody listening goes, oh, what? <laughs> what? Go, if you ever want to have some fun, go listen. The, uh, Chrysostom literally means um, golden, golden, golden tongue. tongue. Yeah. Because, I mean, he was just such a good orator. Mm -hmm. But if you ever want to have some fun, 
by the way, fourth, fifth century. I think he. I think end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth century is when he dies. Um, go look up. I, I. I actually have some of his sermons on my tablet. You go read John Chrysostom's sermons; they will do you some good. Mm-hmm. But go read a physical description of him. He's basically Yoda. Oh, is that right? I yeah, like like paled skin because of like kind of greenish looking. Literally because of years as a monk, he he destroyed his health and he didn't process food properly and. And like pointy ears and beady eyes, he's basically the 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 early Middle Ages Yoda. Yeah, just have some fun with that. It's 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 funny how those guys, you know, like Martin Luther, and they they practice asceticism, you know, and, they, and, and just destroyed themselves. They, they yeah, did. it's brutal. So yeah, so that's gonna happen. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Come, uh, get up, let us go from here. So that's when they're leaving the upper room and heading out to the Garden of Gethsemane. So what is the point of reading all of that? Well, here you go, Christian. This stuff matters because if you miss, if you misunderstand the continuing work of God, you will just be so broken and unarmed in this world because you will have left yourself in your power. Now, starting points here. Trinitarian theology is our necessity. Why? Think about that for a second. Trinitarian theology is a necessity. Now tell yourself why. You think you got an answer, Lou? Why is Trinitarian theology a necessity at its basis level? Well, it helps you understand God and you know, the, I would agree, but I think we can get lower than that. Okay, I think we can dig underneath that. The persons of God, the yes, substance. But, wh- but why is Trinitarian theology, in and of itself, a necessity, a necessary doctrine for the Christian? Because it flows from another necessary doctrine of the Christian. It is the clear teaching of Scripture. Oh, I was going to say because all throughout the Scripture, there I mean, it is, even from Genesis, you. You see the spirit hovering over the water, and we don't hold the Trinitarian the the theology. And, yeah. We don't hold the Trinitarian theology because we just love it so much because it makes our brains feel so good and we feel smart when we talk about it. We hold to it because it's what the Bible teaches. We don't need a choice. It's either this. It's it's either we hold the Trinitarian theology or we reject Scripture. So we have to reject the concept of inspiration. We have to reject the, all concepts of bibliology. Go, go back and listen to the episode on bibliology. It will do you good. It's, a found, it's foundational. Everything's got to start with Scripture because otherwise, by definition, our, our standard and our foundation is subjective, and it can't be. So we hold the Trinitarian theology because it's how Scripture reveals God. The other reason we do this is as you, that that's the secondary level. Is this is how we understand God? Right, right. This is who He is. If He has gone to the trouble of telling us this, then we should probably pay attention to it. Now, I point that out because Lou doesn't like defending the Trinity because it makes his head hurt. It does. I don't like defending the Trinity because it makes my head hurt. It's it's hard. It's hard to to fully understand the concepts presented. Uh, and it's not hard. It's impossible. Yeah, I mean, we can't pretend to sit up here and be able to explain the complex unity of God in in a way that would, everybody would understand. And, and, it, and it drives me nuts because if you haven't figured out by now, I like being right. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not really that bad. But and therefore, I've actually spent a lot of time studying things so that I can be right. The Trinity drives me insane because it's one of those things that I can't. 
there's no neat, clean way to unpack it and present it to you in a way that doesn't make me feel like my blood pressure is going up and I've got sweat running down my back. Right. I, there's just no good way because you're always you're always teetering on the edge of I really don't understand this, and it's hard to teach something that you don't really understand. I can give you the Christian understanding of it, but it's not comfortable because I don't understand it. Well, one of the because things, nobody does. Nobody right, really right. does. One of the things that I, when I first started going to seminary, we started uh, studying you know systematic theology and, and God and his attributes, and, and you'll notice as you go through the attributes of God that the Holy Spirit and the Son all have the same attributes. Yeah. And who shares the attributes of God? No but, one. No one but God. So, I mean, there's clues all throughout the Scripture. When Isaiah uh, talks about God being the only Savior, and then we hear the New Testament writers who knew what Isaiah wrote, talking about Christ as the only Savior, I mean, what else can we infer? And that's the idea because we're stuck with it. Right. So again, nobody nobody sits there except for like like some PhD somewhere in a seminary, and be like, oh, the doctrine. I love defending it. Other than that guy, nobody likes us. But we do this because it is the clear testimony of Scripture. Now, here's the fun part: What happens to us if we don't have the Holy Spirit? So just think for a minute: What in the Christian life is lost without the work of the Holy Spirit? Salvation. Well, you could make the argument that the human being could repent. I'm just—I'm I'm, going to play devil's advocate here. You could make the argument that the human being could repent, Christ's work would be sufficient, and then God could apply that work to the individual. So while I would agree with you, I think, we, I think you could almost make the argument that without the Holy Spirit's work, we could accomplish salvation. I, but I don't think we could keep sanctification. I don't think we could keep the inscripturation process the assembling of the New Testament. I don't think you can have the empowering of the early church. I don't think you could have the empowering for continued Christian living. I don't think you could have quality discipleship. Right. I mean, if, well, in the beginning of the passage that you wrote, or you read, mm-hmm. it talks about, you know, if if we are in Christ, Christ is, you know, the Father is in Christ, Christ is in the Father, and, and we're in, yes. in Christ, and He is in us, and yes. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to us. I mean, you have to be, if, if you're one of those people who the Holy Spirit indwells, you are saved, you are yes, sanctified, you are set apart. That's, That's what I said, I devil's advocate at the yeah. end Now, I agree, yeah. without the work of the Holy Spirit, salvation's off the table, because who's awakening the heart, who's renewing right. the I mind, mean, who's doing any of that? Who's indwelling you? Now, I mean, this, now this becomes an issue because... The reason why I tried to make that quick little argument, I'm terrible at it, is because I don't believe it, is if you lose the work of the Holy Spirit, you have lost, again, who changes your heart of stone into a heart of flesh? The Holy Spirit does. Mm-hmm. Who, Romans 12, renews your mind? Who, Hebrews 12, fixes your eyes upon Christ? Who even calls you to the Son? Who is, who is the one who is truly walking with you in the valley of the shadow of death? Psalm 23. Yeah. Who is the one who is... Sending down your deep roots, Colossians 2. Who is the one making sure you are not tossed by every wave of doctrine, Ephesians 4? Who is the one who is strengthening you to battle against the forces of this world, Ephesians mm-hmm. 6? Who is the one who carries your concerns before Christ, um, 1 John 2, right? Who is doing all of this? It is the work of the Holy Spirit. So you lose your initiation into Christianity. Your ceiling in Christianity that will pre- prepare that that will ensure that you are preserved to the end, Philippians one, 
and then you lose your empowerment for Christianity, the one who ensures that your eyes are purified, that your heart is cleansed, and that your walk is good. Again, what separates you, Christian, from the pagan? It is the work, the initiatory and continuing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, and if you remember church history and, 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 and how the Gentiles came into the fold, it was a huge deal that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yes, because it was a proof to the apostolic right. church that, oh, God's serious about this whole every tribe, tongue, and nation thing. Right. This is a big, big deal. So, yeah, it's a big, so, it is a big deal, and so it is a sign of why, your salvation. Why do we care about this? Oh, here we go. Of an estimated 176 million American adults who identify as Christian. Okay, as soon as I read that, I know that number's too high. That was like that that statistic I read for Cameron a couple of months ago that points out that like 88% of Congress claims to be Christian. And I can't say the first word that pops into my head because it's like, no, it's not. But Mm -hmm. I'm sure you thought the same word I did. But, liars! Yeah, liar! Yeah, I need Billy Crystal. <laughs> liar! Liar! <laughs> Billy Crystal's wife and the Princess Bride. So, 176 million American adults who identify as Christian, just 6%, or 15 million of them, actually hold a biblical worldview. That floored me. That, uh, that's it's a little lower than I would have guessed, but a couple of years ago, I remember seeing a study where it was like 10 to 12%, right, So, right. which tells you, Christian, we're, 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 going, we're going the wrong way. This is a problem. So they published this with their annual American Worldview Inventory. Now, I'm going to skip ahead because this thing is just full of all sorts of depressing um, tidbits. Mm-hmm. But this is the one that I just that I, would, I, I think should just floor every human being on the planet who even remotely attempts to understand Christian doctrine. All right? Mm-hmm. 62% of self-identified born-again Christians— I knew you were going there contends that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Those are Baptists. No, those are Jehovah's Witnesses. No, they, they alliterated power, presence, and purity. <laughs> so the people who wrote this article are Baptists, is what I'm saying. Okay, the 62%, I would have to argue, um, they have the same theology as our Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, this friends. is true. of self-identified born-again Christians contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Another 61% say that all religious faiths are of equal value, and 60% believe that if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way into heaven. (laughs) If you don't laugh, you're going to cry. Wow, now, man, we've, just... we kind of tackled the, the 61% and the 60% last week, so yeah, go listen yeah. to that. It'll do you good. Yeah. 62% of self-proclaimed Christians don't understand that there is a trinity, which means they don't understand their Bible right, right. because you can't read your Bible, teach your Bible, understand your Bible, and not come down on a trinity. You can't. You just. You literally can't. Mm-hmm. You, it's not possible. Now, what does this mean? This means that the vast majority of people who claim to be Christians are walking around without knowledge at best, possession of at worst, of the person of Yahweh who does all the important stuff for a Christian day in and day out. Now, assuming you have possession, but you have no knowledge, it means that the vast majority of the people claiming to be Christian are not being sanctified. Mm 
because they don't understand how sanctification works. They're not being discipled because they don't understand how discipleship works. They're not making disciples because they don't understand what discipleship is. They're not walking in the truth. I think I was telling you this earlier. I think that pastors as a whole, if you're calling yourself a born again Christian and you're you're going to church every every week and you're studying your Bible and you still think the Holy Spirit is not the I mean, person of God, I mean, there's something wrong with what we're teaching. If that's if that's what you're if that's what you're getting. There's something wrong. We're failing. 99% of the group believe that the Bible is the accurate and reliable word of God, yeah. believe that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, and just creator of the universe who still rules the universe today, and say they have a unique God-given calling. All right, so let's point this yeah, that's out. That's interesting that they could say that. So basically 100% of this group believe that God is all-powerful, that God is sovereign. That he was creator. And that he is actively intervening in their life. But they deny the means by which God actively intervenes. And they also say that God wrote a book, or at least empowered the writing of a book, but then reject the core teachings of that book. That's frightening. There's a concept in psychology called cognitive dissonance. Mm. Where and you'll see this with people that have suffered a trauma, where they what is plainly obvious that you can literally look at, they simply do not believe, and they will interpret the data that you provide, the the visual evidence that you give them. They will interpret it in such a way to go along with their preconceived notions, their their a priori assumptions, their first things. This is an example of this. What you have is the is large swaths of air quotes, Christianity in this country. The United States, by the way, for those of you listening elsewhere. (laughs) That large swaths of this country have a preconceived understanding of who God is and how he operates. And therefore, while they believe that he empowered the Bible, I'm giving them credit for that. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. that's how they believe it. While they believe that he empowered the writing of the Bible, they do not understand Scripture because they read Scripture with an eye towards their preconceived notions and understandings first. They violated the first rule of hermeneutics, which is forget you and start with the text and not yourself. Yeah, let Scripture interpret Scripture. And, yeah. yeah, all of those things. That's the, the analogy of Scripture right there. Yeah. They have forgotten that rule. Actually, they haven't forgotten about it. They've never applied it because they've never, under, they've never understood it. So what happens is, see, what happened was because of this, <laughs> who's God? Well, we make ourselves out to be God. And therein lies the problem. This is is, is literally, it's not Baal, it's not Chemosh, it's not, you know, Marduk or whoever it was the Assyrians or Babylonians were were bringing along. It's me. I don't call it that because you know what I call me? This is, if you didn't listen to Sunday Sermon, go listen to Sunday Sermon. It'll put this in beautiful perspective for you. This is Aaron building the golden calf, presenting it to the Israelites and then proclaiming what? A feast to Yahweh. Yahweh. The calf is not Yahweh, but we're going to worship Yahweh by bowing down to the calf. That's that's what this is right here. Mm -hmm. I believe that Yahweh has empowered a book. I believe that Yahweh's teachings are contained in this book. But I also have preconceived notions of how Yahweh operates. Therefore, when I read the book, I read my preconceived notions into that, which really means 
I'm the one who defines who Yahweh is, not himself. So, of course, he doesn't have a Holy Spirit. I would never come up with something that's stupid. Mm. Dangerous place to be. Yeah, and the reason I think it's stupid is because I can't understand it. Yeah. So because I can't understand I mean, we, it, it can't make any sense. Right. See, again, I, and that's why I pointed out earlier that I don't like it. Look, if you're asking honestly, like twist my arm, not trying to be a heretic here, but I don't like the doctrine of the Trinity because it makes me uncomfortable mentally. And that bothers me because there are very few things on the planet that make me mentally uncomfortable. Mm. Like I'm, I'm capable of understanding vast concepts and complicated things and explaining them to people. I can't get it because it, it's talking about a transcendent being that I can't understand. So while I can explain to you the nuts and bolts as revealed in Scripture, that we have three persons, that they are distinct, but that they share an essence, that we have one God revealed in three, not manifestations, but actual persons or personalities, I can explain that. I can't understand that, and it bugs me. Christian, right, right. you have got to get comfortable standing in places for Christianity that make you uncomfortable. And here's why. If you can't stand in places you are mentally uncomfortable, you will never stand in places where you are actually uncomfortable. Which means, because you're willing to run and hide and deny cardinal doctrines because your mental pressure is being twisted, what are you going to deny when the world starts applying actual pressure? You mean like now? Yeah. What, what are you going to deny? What are you going to live without? What are you going to forsake when the world begins to apply real pressure that you can feel and smell and see? If you're not comfortable in disciplining yourself to defend Scripture as it is revealed from God, you are not disciplining yourself to stand for the difficult things of God in the real world. That's part of the blessings of God being beyond us, is that we follow after one that we really don't understand, but that we trust because of how he has revealed himself and because of how he has demonstrated himself. We can trust the proclaimed attributes of God because he has lived them consistently and shown them to us. That's a benefit to us. God doesn't have to do that. He could simply say, this is me, follow, and we would have to go, okay, yes, sir. Hmm. But as a mercy to our sinful pride, he lives it out over thousands of years so that we are without excuse, so that we can see, know, trust, and believe. If we're unwilling to do that work, if we're unwilling to stand there because it makes us uncomfortable, then we're not going to be willing to be very uncomfortable when the world actually pushes on hard things. Right. It's, it's a microcosm. This is, a, well, this is an argument from the, from the lesser to the greater in that regard. Right. Well— one thing that I take a little bit of comfort in <laughs> is is knowing that our worldview, like you just mentioned, that you know we have to be comfortable standing in places that make us uncomfortable mm-hmm. and not being able to fully explain things. It's no different than somebody saying that everything came from nothing, right? It's the same. The, right. The problem is we don't make them uncomfortable for that belief because we well, don't we well, don't no. want to actually challenge because we don't want right. to we don't want to ch- we don't want to attack but with what we actually believe. Agreed. That no. Can't agreed. Fully explain. Agreed. How everything came to be, and, and just, so we don't need to feel like we have to explain everything. We can. That's that's what's part of faith. We need. We can believe that the word of God is accurate. It's true, 
and it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Unsheath the sword and go on offense. Right, right. A, a sword is not a defensive weapon. It's an offensive weapon. Right. It's meant when to they go, everything things. came from nothing, we should be able to say, that's dumb. Here's where everything came from, and we right. should be able to start stabbing with the pointy thing that God has given us. Right. But we don't do that because, again, we're uncomfortable in that space because we haven't really wrapped our brain around what we believe based on what Scripture teaches because we're not comfortable there. Right. Christian, get comfortable with things you don't fully understand yeah. because that is a way that your faith and trust is in, is increased. And it will prepare you to live in this world because the, the, assumption, the other side of this is, at best, I'm walking around bl- uh, blind and, and hogtied trying to figure out how to live in this world because the power that God has given to protect me, to strengthen me, to guide me, to bring me back, to carry my concerns before him, the power that he has given me in the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm walking without. May it never be. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is we're creating a whole pile of generations of Christians, which I would argue we've been doing this, that are simply not believers. There are people who will stand there and hear on the day Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. We've got to take Christian living seriously, and that starts with taking Christian foundations seriously, which means we take Scripture seriously. We understand it, we apply it, and we understand it, and we apply it, and we understand it, and we apply it constantly. Mm-hmm. And that's the work we do as individuals, and that's the work we do as a community. And Sometimes un- we have to put things on a shelf and, and study and, and then come back to that, mm-hmm. and pull it down off the shelf and take a look at it again. And, and the, other, the only option is we're in the wrong place. And if we're in the wrong place, then we are the wrong people. Right. In which case, we've got to do what? Start all over again. Return to Christ, repent, trust in him, and move forward. Yeah. Right. Anything else? I don't think so. What have we learned here today, children? <laughs> God has worked and is working. Yes. God works in his people through his spirit. Remember that. We can't abandon the work of God and still be his people, amazingly enough. Mm, Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. Something you see that you think would make a good understanding or you have questions about, send it. We'll be glad to do it. We, we try to make sense of these doctrines, give you a biblical foundation. That's why this stuff matters because I don't think the world is getting better, and I don't think you think the world is getting better. Therefore, the, the only hope that we have is in Christ, and the way that we understand that hope is by understanding the revelation he has given to us, and that is in his word, which is why we say, until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.